we had a bad day yesterday. Why vaccine bookings bombed so badly and the promise to do better. Post-vaccine reality check. I was really surprised because, you know, I thought being everybody was vaccinated. The COVID hotspot no one predicted. And relaxing restrictions by degrees. I think students are really hopeful and excited about the fact uh, that they, they could get back on campus in the fall. From college to communion, hope for a return to normal sooner than later. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's health minister is promising the system will be better after admitting the government and its call centre contractor seriously dropped the ball on the first day of vaccination registration. Vancouver Coastal Health registered just 396 people Monday with many callers on hold for hours. Richard Zussman reports on the apology that followed. Still calling. Every My husband and I are tag-teaming. It has preoccupied Brenda Rostrin for much of the last two days. The Métis 65-year-old calling without much luck to get a COVID-19 vaccination appointment for herself and her husband. My hope is that um, Coastal Health or whoever is in charge of the telephone centre will get their act together. The province under fire for a botched over-the-phone booking system run by TELUS. On Monday, the eligible Indigenous seniors 65-plus and non-Indigenous seniors 90-plus made almost 15,000 appointments. In Fraser Health, 8,722 of them. Interior Health, 2,456 appointments. Island Health, 2,395. In Northern Health, 1,007 appointments. And in Coastal Health, just 369 appointments booked the province trying to restore confidence. We are uh, adding and uh, working with doctor's offices to assist in ensuring that people are booked. But gaining that confidence for those juggling the phone lines trying to make an appointment for a loved one while working will not be easy. I think I'm past frustrated to just angry now that, uh, that this is how uh, this rollout is gone. Uh, it's not a mystery that the vaccine was coming. Kieran McGee lives in West Vancouver with his 91-year-old father who he was trying to book for. Hearing this from a TELUS operator who tried to give them an appointment in Vancouver. I'm from New Brunswick. I don't know Vancouver at all. So that, that kind of threw me a little bit right then and there. TELUS now apologizing for all the problems. We are sorry for the frustrations that British Columbians have experienced trying to connect to the call centre. A statement from CEO Darren Entwistle reads, We will ensure that all eligible British Columbians are able to book their vaccine in the time frame set out by the province. In the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority, they decided um, to contract specifically with TELUS and that TELUS would do all this work. And uh, the service provider let us down. Can the Premier explain why his government was so unprepared for a vaccination rollout when they had over a year to prepare for it. As for the TELUS contract, the province wouldn't say how much taxpayers have paid for something that so far has let so many down. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, BC's numbers appear to have hit a plateau, remaining stubbornly high. We have 550 new cases, bringing BC's total to just over 85,000. 4,869 are active cases, with 249 people in hospital. 
Sadly, we've lost two more people to complications of the virus. And as of today, 343,381 doses of COVID-19 vaccine have been administered in B.C. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the variant numbers. And Keith, mm -hmm. a first for B.C. and a concerning one. The P1 or Brazilian variant has shown up in B.C. Yeah, it's showing up in not just one case. So again, our variant numbers have really gone up in a relatively short period of time. In fact, our total case numbers more than doubled in four days. Our active cases almost 10 times the amount as of Friday. So take a look at this chart, which I think tells the story. Uh, since Friday, we had just 12 active cases. We are now at 113 active variant cases. Again, of alarming growth there. And part of this may be because we're changed how we test for the cases. We're finding them quicker, and that may explain the uh, explosion in the numbers. Now, in terms of overall cases, our numbers are now at 576 total. The vast majority of those are the B117 or the UK variety of 530, 33 South African or B1351. But this is a bit alarming. 13 Brazilian cases, P1 variants. Six of those are active. We don't know much about the Brazilian in terms of its effectiveness when it comes to vaccines. I can tell you the UK virus is now so rampant in Europe, Sophie, that um, it's now the dominant virus in 10 countries there. It's much more transmissible and infectious than the other regular COVID-19. And certainly it's much more uh, frequently transmitted mm -hmm. here in BC as well. All right. Uh, the volume of appointments booked on day one, yep. obviously not that successful, as we heard in Richard's uh, story, particularly in Vancouver Coastal Health. How did things go today? Ah, just got the numbers just moments ago. Uh, better in Vancouver Coastal Health. The overall number is down from yesterday, but I was expected. Here's the numbers as of 5 o'clock today. Fraser Health with more than 3,500. Vancouver Coastal finally came through more than 3,100. They had less than 400 yesterday. The Interior at 2,549. Vancouver Island at 2,487. Northern Health at three, uh, 639. Total as of 5 p.m., 12,346. It basically means, Sophie, more than 27,000 people have made appointments now. That leaves about 22,000 people to go in this particular pool. We're talking about 50,000 people, so we're more than halfway there. It's like some issues have been ironed out with the registration Think system. So. All right, thanks, Keith. Well, two northern B.C. communities will be the first in B.C. to receive whole community COVID-19 vaccinations. Northern Health has announced every adult in Prince Rupert and Port Edward will be vaccinated this month. The unprecedented program launched to combat a recent high transmission rate of the virus in that region. Prince Rupert, with a population of about 12,000, currently has an infection rate significantly higher than most cities. Northern Health will begin the vaccinations March 15th and plans to have all people over the age of 18 vaccinated by April 1st. Of course, we are being reminded today that vaccination is no guarantee against infection. Over the past few days, there have been at least two new outbreaks involving vaccinated groups at long-term care homes. As Ted Chernecki reports, experts say those cases are a warning that COVID-19 won't go away overnight. A post-vaccine reality check. COVID is tougher than you may have thought. At the Cottonwoods Long-Term Care Home in Kelowna, a new COVID outbreak has been declared even though 65% of the staff and residents had already received at least one vaccine dose. Two staff members and 10 residents have recently tested positive. I was really surprised because, you know, I thought being everybody was vaccinated. I was under the illusion that you were somewhat protected. And this isn't expected to be the only surprise in the weeks and months ahead. Even those who um, have been vaccinated and may go on to develop uh, disease uh, very well could have milder illness. 
And I also expect that we'll continue to see some outbreaks in our long-term care. Part of the reason is not everyone can take the vaccine. It takes at least two weeks after the first dose for the body to start building immunity, and no one ever said it would be 100% effective. An outbreak at Vancouver General Hospital is also being investigated, considering 20 of 50 recent cases involved medical staff who had been vaccinated. The big question is, did that first dose come within the last two weeks? If so, they are not considered vaccinated and remain at full risk. If it happened any later, it would be very important for us to understand the circumstances under which it happened and to make sure that this is not a viral strain that is resistant to the vaccine. Despite some of the new cases at the Cottonwoods Care Home involving residents who've had two doses, BC's chief health officer says she still has confidence in the vaccines. While we are very confident that vaccine is very effective and prevents particularly severe illness and death, it doesn't necessarily mean that all transmission will be stopped. And the chief medical officer at Vancouver's Infectious Disease Centre offers this timely reminder. The first time you get offered a vaccine, please take it, whichever vaccine it is. If you are drowning and someone throws you a life vest, don't throw it back because it's the wrong color. Ted Chernicki, Global News. Premier John Horgan is today echoing Monday's comments by Dr. Bonnie Henry that we could see some easing of restrictions in the coming weeks. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, some business sectors say they still have a long way to go before they get to the light at the end of the pandemic tunnel. The closed signs are hard to miss. Empty storefronts, the evidence of a brutal 2020. 2021 looks brighter, but it is going to take more than just a vaccine for downtown businesses to dig out of this hole. Office space functioning at just 25% normal capacity. What we're looking for is uh, a bit more of a timeline as when we can expect a number of the restrictions to be relaxed. Monday, the provincial health officer was optimistic in her projections for a return to pre-pandemic life. Perhaps limited travel by spring break. The potential for Easter services in person. Maybe even social gatherings in outdoor settings. Those are still a ways off and the Premier still urging caution. Dr. Henry's uh, orders are still in place. Uh, I don't want to preempt her. Where there is more certainty, the fall. Universities aim to be fully open for in-person classes by September. And despite safety concerns, students are desperate to get back to campus. I think the fall is a is a good timeline. It it allows a, a buffer for, you know, things like such as vaccines and, and consultations on what going back to school will look like. Earlier than that, the summer tourist season appears to be ramping up. Operators are taking bookings from locals. But without Americans crossing the border and without cruise ships in Canadian ports, the tourism economy has a long, hard road to recovery. We need the movement of people, and it can't just be British Columbians. We need visitors from transborder, and we need business from international. If those don't exist, there's not enough to supplement. No matter how optimistic the health officials may be, any promises still come with a hefty dose of reality. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the province is throwing a multi-million dollar lifeline to essential travel operators devastated by COVID revenue losses. Kylie Stanton has more on the cash injection for regional airports and bus companies and how it will allow some businesses to get back on track. With no one on board, there's nowhere to go. And every kilometre not clocked means money lost. 
But these buses that have been sitting idle for months now can finally get ready to start their engines. These essential transportation operators will be getting a little bit of help from the province of British Columbia. The Premier announcing a one-time grant of up to $10.7 million for intercity bus operators to help provide essential transportation and another $16.5 million for regional airports to support operations over the next year, more than $27 million in total. This funding is about supporting each other as British Columbians, and it will support operations and the continuation of services over the entire entirety of the next year into 2022. Over the course of the pandemic, regional airports across the province have experienced a massive reduction in both business and holiday travel. What usually pays for fire suppression and essential medical evacuation services. So it doesn't take much imagination to see that with air travel at a near standstill, the revenues in this industry have also hit rock bottom. Earlier this year, Wilson's Transportation had to suspend service indefinitely to many rural areas and island First Nations due to a drop in revenue, down as much as 95% over this time last year. Now it's gearing up to resume services in the coming weeks. Today's grant announcement is the life raft many of us in our industry have been hoping for. The Indigenous communities it serves calls it a lifeline and potentially a lifesaver. We're really worried about murdered, missing Indigenous women. It's essential that our women get safely from the communities to their appointments and back again. Applications are now open. The hope is to have the money distributed by the end of this month. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Up next, suspected property crime turns deadly. What might explain how a man was crushed under a car that wasn't his? And later, three words, don't get lost. The new app that helped RCMP find some lost hikers. The unmistakable sound of ACDC and the Vancouver sound engineer who helped define it. Mike Fraser shares the secrets of his success coming up on the News Hour. And a dash cam captures a dangerous move by a driver in a white pickup truck. What our CMPs say about it later. Right now, though, an apparent overnight theft went horribly wrong in Burnaby, where a man's body was discovered underneath a vehicle. Amadagahi has more on the deadly discovery and what RCMP believe the man was doing that cost him his life. It was a gruesome discovery for a passerby who spotted someone pinned underneath a car in the middle of the night. It was apparent that uh, the individual was deceased, of course, and uh, was in the process of uh, some sort of property crime. That's the twist officers found at the already shocking scene. There were some tools to make our investigation a little uh, simpler to figure out what uh, the motives were for being under the vehicle. I think there's a lot of speculation that it's a catalytic converter. The catalytic converter runs underneath your car, a part of the vehicle's exhaust system containing precious metals. And with the right tools, it can take less than a minute for a thief to cut them off. And we've just learned that in 2020, there were almost as many catalytic converter thefts claimed to ICBC as the previous five years combined. 80 bucks, 100 bucks maybe. It has been a problem for about a decade, admits the owner of this Vancouver scrapyard. Sure, I could stop buying cats totally. That's not going to solve any problems. I'm just going to lose out on some business. He says it's not as easy as you'd think to know what is or isn't stolen. 
and anyone selling metal here has to show their ID. And they keep that information in case police need to ask for it. Part of our process is we mark them. We're not the police. We're not the courts here. Uh, we do our due diligence. Back in Burnaby, police say a jack used to lift the car appears to have failed because of the uneven gravel lot. We have spoken to their family, uh, to the family of the man, and, and, and you know, it's, it's never easy to hear the news that they have to hear today. And they're asking you to hold judgment in what is a very tragic incident, regardless of the circumstance surrounding it. Emadagahi, Global News. North Vancouver RCMP are spreading the word about a new app that's proved very successful in helping find lost hikers. It's called What Three Words, and it was recently put into action to locate a group of hikers who got lost in the North Shore Mountains. It's designed to be simple. If you are lost, you contact 911 searchers who will then send you a text message link. When that link opens, you respond with the three words displayed. Those words tell searchers your exact map coordinates. And they'll be just random words, uh, something like tree, uh, house, uh, barnacle. And then the person can read those words back to the dispatcher and the dispatcher can, can enter those words into the system and they immediately know within a three meter square uh, area where that person is located. So this is, it's quick, it's simple, it comes in a hundred different languages. Of course, for the app to work, at least to send that initial message, you have to have both battery power left on your phone and a cell signal, even if it's weak. Coming up, slow and steady growth for an electric vehicle game changer. This is our uh, NXT City line. The Kelowna company on the fast track to success with its low-speed EVs. And on the opposite end of the speed scale, dangerous driving caught on dash cam. More police are arriving on scene here to an incident on the Delta-Surrey border, southbound on Scott. Kelowna RCMP are calling out a reckless driver whose dangerous behavior was caught on dash cam. When you do things like we saw in that video, you're putting everyone at risk. And this is what Kelowna RCMP are referring to. The driver of a white pickup truck coming towards the camera, making an extremely dangerous pass in the left-hand turn lane at the Mount Boucherie intersection of Highway 97 in West Kelowna. The driver of the pickup is believed to be going in excess of 140 kilometers an hour at the time. It happened just after 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon, and police say they are now investigating. If you recognize that vehicle, please give us a shout and let us know. And uh, even on a broader scope, if you're seeing things like this happening, uh, even if you don't have a license plate, please phone and let us know. Uh, we gather that data and we use that to direct where our traffic enforcement officers are going on a day-to-day -day basis. So we need to know uh, what areas of our community are problematic. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, an Okanagan company is tapping into the low-speed electric car market. Global's Travis Lowe goes along for the ride to show how the company is hoping to change the way we think about getting around. This is our uh, NXT City line. After a decade of building custom golf carts... No gas, no oil, you just plug and go. SC Carts is getting off course and heading out on the open road kind of see a niche there with this low speed uh, category. The Vernon-based company has just manufactured what they say is Canada's first electric street eagle LSV or low speed vehicle. We run a lithium battery pack in it. It's simple to charge, just plug it into the to your 110 outlet in your garage. 
A full charge takes about 5 hours and should get you around 95 kilometers depending on hills. The vehicle has a top speed of 40 kilometers an hour, but the car's use is limited. We're allowed to drive on 50 kilometer an hour roads in areas and in, in communities that have uh, permitted it. However, in an effort to reduce emissions, low speed compliant communities are becoming quite common. Most of BC has, uh, has approved it. So how much will it cost you to forego fossil fuels and get behind the wheel of an NXT City LSV? So our base two-seat version starts at 20 grand, and then this this one equipped like this is uh, 26,000. According to the company, interest in their low-speed electric vehicles has been overwhelming. Actually, we've had people like even our current customers with our carts now um, are phoning and requesting them. But potential purchasers will have to get in line and wait, as it takes about a month for the company to build one. As we expand and. Uh, get more employees, we'll shorten that time down. Currently, I'm the only one doing it. <laughs> Travis Lowe, Global News, Vernon. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is moving well both ways. Keep in mind though, overnight road work affecting traffic south of the tunnel on Highway 99, just south of Ladner Trunk Road from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provide no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage and Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The untimely death of an RCMP officer two weeks ago is under investigation by a number of agencies tonight. Constable Jasmine Tiara, who worked for the Richmond Detachment for the past two years, was off-duty the night she died. Now her family is going on the record with Global News. And as our Rumina Dea tells us, they have many questions about the mysterious circumstances leading up to this tragedy. This is one of the last images of Richmond RCMP Constable Jasmine Tiara. A day later, she's found dead. She was caring, she was compassionate, and she has a family who loves her so, so much and knows her so, so well that we won't stop until we get answers. The constable off duty when she leaves home in New Westminster the night of February 21st. She tells her mom she's going to get gas, some food, and she'll be right back. She takes two things, her badge and gun. 30 minutes later, her car is found parked at the Gateway Hotel in Richmond. Her body is found on a bridge proximate to the hotel, the Moray Bridge. Single gunshot wound to the head. Two days before Tiara was found dead, a shocking revelation. The most important thing about this is Constable Jasmine Tiara was three and a half months pregnant. And the father of that fetus was a superior officer working in the Richmond detachment. The relationship not public, says Tiara's family. Adding the member started showing up at the house several months after Tiara graduated from RCMP training in December 2018. Her goal, to follow in her uncle's footsteps, who was also a Mountie. I've asked for the initial coroner's report, which there must be one under the Police Act, um, and I haven't even got that. Tiara's family doesn't know if the senior officer knew about the pregnancy, which was apparently ectopic, meaning the baby would not survive. The Independent Investigations Office says Tiara's death appears to be suicide. But why? Her family tells us there were no mental health issues they were aware of 
or any concern connected to an upcoming sexual assault trial in which Tiara was set to testify. She was not the victim in the case. We need the cooperation of the coroner. At the very least, please open an autopsy. She hasn't had her first autopsy. She needs an autopsy. There was a baby inside. At least three separate investigations are underway, which is why the IIO, RCMP and coroner service say they can't comment on specific questions. Romina Dea, Global News. In health matters, despite a year of living with the pandemic, all the restrictions and the still climbing death toll, a surprising number of British Columbians say they still don't believe COVID-19 poses a real threat. And as Grace Key reports, a significant portion of that group says they've broken with friends and family over that belief. When it comes to COVID, there are the believers who follow the rules, and then there are those who don't. Take the mask off, COVID fake! Research Co. conducted an online survey from March 1st to the 3rd among 800 BC adults. It found that 82% of British Columbians consider COVID-19 a real threat, while 15% do not, and 3% are undecided. Those who are skeptical about COVID-19 are more likely to be upset with how governments are handling it, with how the media is covering it, and also more likely to stop talking to their friends, stop talking to their family because of COVID-19. So it's almost a situation that ultimately borders on a cult. And when the two sides collide on social media, that could lead to some heated debates and unfollowing. But who's likely to hit the unfriend button first. The non-believers are cutting off the believers. Why do you say that? I don't know. I think they're just more radical. <laughs> I've seen people have wacky conspiracy ideas, yeah. but uh, I, what, I have no time to bother. Like, why would I care what they yeah. think if they're loopy? I, I've got more more important things to do with my time. When it comes to disagreements related to the pandemic... The survey found about a third of pandemic skeptics have unfollowed a person on social media, while 26% have stopped talking to a family member and a quarter have ceased communication with a friend. It's a tiny group and I think part of the problem here is what happens when that 15% only talks to each other, when they're only discussing things with people who feel exactly the same way. This is why you have parties. This is why you have those super spreader events, because you're surrounded by people who don't know that their community needs to do this. It's a tiny group, but the consequences are major. And a year into the pandemic, 60% of those polled are still happy with the way the provincial government is handling things. Grace Key, Global News. Still ahead, a Vancouver sound engineer hitting just the right note. But you're there to help them. Uh make their vision. It, it's not your vision. The musical magician working behind the scenes to make some of the world's biggest bands sound great. And how a lost dog's epic adventure is about to become a children's book. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A massive amount of work is now underway at the site of the Big Bear landslide, Big Bar landslide rather, on the Fraser River. Two of seven massive piles are now in place that will form the basis of a permanent fishway that will allow migrating salmon and steelhead to get past the five-meter waterfall created by the landslide back in the fall of 2018. A temporary work camp to house a crew of about 70 is also under construction near the slide site. That work is scheduled to be completed by May of 2022. 
Well, a UBC researcher has made a surprising discovery about what's really preying on juvenile salmon. Up to half of those fish die before they reach maturity as they try to outrun natural predators. And a BC researcher has just added a previously unknown one to the list. Linda Ellsworth reports. These salmon are such an important food source for an array of predators all along their migration from, you know, freshwater to the ocean and back. To help track how many salmon survive, hatchery-raised juveniles often have tiny radio tags implanted in their abdomens. And they put these antennas throughout the river to see how far they make it down the river. And to their surprise, they actually found that in some years, up to 50% of the salmon weren't even making it out of the river. Zachary Shirker wanted to know which predators were responsible, so he made it the subject of his master's thesis at UBC and got to work searching for animal feces that might contain those little radio tags. So I looked at otter latrines, mink dens, crawling all over the river system, trying to find any predator that we could, uh, and... Basically, by the end of it, I came up with nothing. Then a fellow biologist suggested he check out a nearby great blue heron colony. And so I just sort of exploratorily went over there to see if we could find anything. We ended up finding about uh, 500 tags. He hadn't considered herons because they're so large and juvenile salmon would barely be a snack. They're chicks, on the other hand. So they can't feed on larger prey items. It's a choking hazard. So we think that these particularly small fish may be actually really important during that first couple of weeks. He went on to learn that when river levels were high, herons caught 3% of the juvenile fish. But when low, which happens when dams withhold water, the fish were more vulnerable and the catch doubled to 6%. Humans being able to provide enough water during smolt-out migration may sort of give them that push to, to survive that initial gauntlet of mortality. The study isn't about blaming any one species for the salmon's struggles. Great blue heron are declining as well thanks to habitat loss. What's important is how much our coast depends on healthy salmon populations. That was something that was really interesting is just to see, like, here's another predator that, that was sort of understudied and hadn't been quantified before. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Learn something new every day. Let's check in with uh, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon to see what we can learn about the weather forecast. Christy? Mm -hmm. Look at this beautiful sunset, you guys. It looks oh, that's purplish nice. and blue and oranges. So nice, isn't it? Uh, so much clearer right now compared to what we saw earlier today. We did see a fair amount of cloud and there were a few sprinkles. But check out this stunning rainbow with a great little jolly dog there in front. Isla sending us this one from Duncan. So yes, we had a few showers, a few rainbows, but overall it was a pretty dry day and the chance of rain is going to stay low for the next several days. Lots to look forward to, but there are a few areas that still have a slight chance, and I mean that, a slight chance tomorrow. Overall it will be dry. Here's a look at the band that's going to shift south. So those of you in the interior, flurries changing to showers for you, just pockets here and there, but that band is going to shift into the lower mainland late in the day. So areas like northeastern Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, potentially southern 
sections of Vancouver Island. Very slight chance of showers just in the afternoon hours tomorrow. Overall, another dry day and plenty of sunshine expected on Thursday also. So a few showers, sorry, flurries changing to showers across these areas. Light amounts, not much expected there. And for our region as well, very slight chance. But for Metro Vancouver, it's really northeastern sections. So Tri-Cities, Maple Ridge and out towards Pitt Meadows. But look, Thursday, Friday, looking terrific. It's not until Friday night that we're expecting a few showers to push in. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window from Haida Gwaii. Been sending us this one. Stunning shot with the blue sky there and uh, the perfect water. Apparently this is a river, but it doesn't look like it's raging, that's for sure. No, not at all. Be tidal. Amazing. Beautiful mm. place. All right, thanks, Christy. A lost dog who went on a three-week adventure with a Hollywood ending is a story too good not to share. Jasper, the Great Pyrenees, swam across the Columbia River a number of times trying to find his way home. And as Nadia Stewart reports, it's now the subject of a new children's book. Let's go see a sheep. Come on. He is a dog with a story worth telling. And that is just what Jasper's owners have done. Living what was an ordinary life for a dog after having embarked on an extraordinary adventure. After this situation happened, we just, we were really grateful and we sat down and we wrote a book. Last summer, Jasper wandered away from his home in Castlegar. That same day, he was seen on the other side of the Columbia River, across from Janelle in the Kootenays. Over the next 24 hours, he'd be spotted both in and around the river, eluding his owners. Then, just when they were about to give up and head home, and I said, there's not going to be a Hollywood ending for this right now. And we drive 100 or 200 yards farther down the road. And I said, there he is in the middle of the road. Oh, Jasper boy. Since his triumphant return, Jasper has become a local celebrity. Yeah, I guess going down the street, you know, everybody was like, ooh, Jasper, ooh, Jasper. Now his story is the focus of a children's book. Mary's husband, Brent, narrated the tale while Mary spent her days recovering from back surgery during the pandemic doing the illustrations. My husband's a pretty good writer, so he just blurted out this long story. I'm not, you know, I'm not an artist, but I got in touch with my artistic side during COVID. In the book, the beloved dog moves from Grand Forks to Castlegar, but in real life, it's the other way around. <laughs> now working as a guard dog, helping Mary and Brent mind their sheep, perhaps not as exciting as his most excellent adventure, but the story will forever live on. Nadia Circle News. Jasper. So cute. Maybe they'll start making, like, Jasper stuffed animals. Oh, <laughs> well, merchandising so cute, opportunity. Right? I think a remake of The Littlest Hobo starring <laughs> Jasper. That was a good <laughs> show back in the day. All right, Squires here, uh, looking ahead of sports. Yes, uh, one of the things we'll talk about is BC Lions draft pick Caden Johnson, who has the speed not to just succeed as a football player, but he's also pretty good at other sports as well. Well, I have always wanted to be light on my feet and reactive and quick. His quickness got him noticed by the bobsleigh people who are always looking for big men with light feet. Also ahead, the magical touch of Mike Fraser and the rock stars who go to him when they want to sound their best.
Is this like the longest streak? Not this year. It's a good streak. Close. Yeah. It's all. It's more than we thought. Okay. Let's, that way. Let's get the bandwagon going again. All right. <laughs> In the upside-down world of the NHL this season, uh, crazy things make perfect sense. Like, how about this? The Canucks go on a three-game win streak without Elias Pettersson. He still has some kind of upper body injury, and in fact, the Canucks said today he'll be out at least another week. It's funny, but sometimes... When you lose your best player, it focuses the others to play better defensively. And the Canucks have done that, although a lot of that has to do with the play of Thatcher Demko. He's almost bubbled Demko right now, the guy who nearly broke Vegas last summer in the playoffs. But he says the players around him last night were the reason that Montreal only scored one goal. You know, some nights the puck's sticking to you. I thought there were a couple today that uh, were bouncing on me a little bit and things like that, but um, our decor is there, solid, um, backing me uh, up. And um, a lot of the times, I just had to make the first save, so that's always a, a plus. And um, you know, again, I, I thought our whole team played a, a good 60 minutes, both ends of the rink, which is something that we've been striving to, to get better at. You know, another thing, the Canucks weren't getting a lot of bounces earlier in the year. Now they're starting to get their share. Uh, the Western Hockey League's BC Division will start their 24-game schedule March 26. It'll go until May 12th. The five teams will play games only in Kamloops and Kelowna, and they'll play each other six times. The man about to score a goal here is the newest Vancouver Whitecap defender, Bruno Gaspar. He's coming for a season-long loan from Sporting of Portugal. He uh, should help. He's good one-on-one. He can move the ball. and He's played in Portugal, Greece, and Italy. He's also played for Angola internationally. Well, there is a BC player who is getting NBA attention right now. Fardaz Amak, who played at Steveston London High School in Richmond, now plays for Utah Valley in the Western Athletic Conference. And today he was named the WAC Player and Defensive Player of the Year after leading the entire NCAA and rebounding. It's not something that I think about while I play or during the season, but I mean, now that, you know, regular season's done, um, hoping that I got on something and, and I did. And I mean, it's, it's definitely, definitely an honor to, to have that player of the year, defense player of the year. Um, I mean, I don't play for accolades, but to be recognized like that is definitely, definitely a, 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 a blessing and, a, and an honor to, um, to, to have that. When the BC Lions drafted running back Caden Johnson last year out of York University, they ended up with a very gifted athlete who isn't just good at football, but also he is an Olympic caliber bobsledder. Bobsleigh was always a dream of mine. For me, ideally, it was after a football career, but because of the pandemic and the CFL season being canceled, it was a great opportunity to dive into it early, and I'm glad I did because it's been such a fun and amazing sport so far, and I'm excited to start this process now. That process Caden Johnson is referring to involves performing at the highest level in multiple sports over multiple seasons. Caden named to Canada's national bobsleigh program the same year he was drafted by the BC Lions in the seventh round of the CFL draft. His athletic ability is through the roof. Not everyone has his size and his ability to run like he does. And, and, you know, his athletic ability to run a 4-4 and being 6-3, he has intangibles that you just don't see in uh, all the other players coming out. Dig, 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 dig. Right now, taking a run at a Winter Olympics medal in bobsleigh next year in Beijing is at the forefront 
But come summer, Caden will switch over to football mode when he attends his first ever CFL training camp with the Lions. It's a massive year for the 25-year-old whose calendar aspirations are jam-packed full of sporting dreams. We're talking hopefully multiple Olympics, summer and winter, as Caden is also a world-caliber track athlete, having won the U-Sports 60-meter hurdles championship. And Caden Johnson is putting a stamp on this race and takes the win. Playing different sports played a huge factor in my development as an athlete and as a person. For track and field, as I started as a decathlete, so doing all those events, including pole vault, hurdles, 1500 meter, and then also football. I'm also a kick returner as well, so I like to have a wide variety of different sports and different attributes because you can always learn something new from a different set of view or perspective. You know, if he gets to go to the Olympics, we'll cheer him on as a, as a BC Lion player who plays in the Olympics. That's just a good story for all of us. And I'm wishing him the best in whatever direction he, you know, in what he gets to go to. And uh, we're hoping for the best for him. Speaking of Winter Olympians, Michael Kingsbury again. Yesterday, the individual Moguls World Championship. Today, the dual Moguls World Championship. He's now won six World Championships. This guy is just unbeatable. And to think he broke two vertebrae at the start of the season. Incredible. Uh, Canadian Open Golf Tournament, no surprise, cancelled for this year. They'll try again in 2022. One in three, BC at the Briar. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. All right. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jay. Thanks, Chris. We are once again following the Vancouver Park Board's attempt to discuss bike lanes in Stanley Park. Commissioners were not able to get to the motion at last night's meeting due to more than 50 speakers of an urban food forest. We'll try again tonight if they can get through the remaining 30 or so speakers who are left. And how's this for a guest list for a drive-by birthday party? Sarah McLaughlin and Barney Bentall will hear from the 90-year-old birthday girl who's celebrating today. Those stories coming up tonight at 11. That is fantastic. Thanks, Jay. And happy birthday to her. That's right. Uh, And we'll have a story from JD coming up. The man behind the music of some of the biggest rock albums ever. That's next. Vancouver has a rich history of pumping out great music, and the producer behind a lot of it is Mike Fraser. He's worked with legends like Brian Adams, Aerosmith, and ACDC, just to name a few. But as Jay Durant shows us, it's more than Fraser's talent at the mixing board that has fueled his legendary career. For almost four decades now, Mike Fraser has been a behind-the-scenes master craftsman, producing, engineering, and mixing some of the most recognizable bands and albums. The calls have never stopped coming in, especially from one band in particular. Fraser has worked on six ACDC albums, including the most recent and unlikely Power Up Comeback album. Many had written the band off, but then rumors something was in the works in Vancouver. First day I walk in there, and who's all? The whole band is there. I mean, we almost had tears of joy. 
Good relationships with musicians has come easy for Fraser. He would go golfing with singer Brian Johnson. He's always got us in stitches. I said to Brian, I said, you know, when your singing career is over, you've got a full career as a stand-up comedian. He would just sit and listen and learn a bit from guitarist Angus Young. Many hours of talks about everything from politics to religion to, to whatever, and he's got his version uh, and he's a very smart, well-read guy. And when you hear those connections he makes with the musicians, it's clear Mike's skill set includes a lot more than just having a good ear and knowing how to finesse the sound. One of the most important things about my job is psychology. You know, you've got all these different personalities that you've got to learn how to get along with. On the Coverdale page, you know, working with Jim Page, who was like, God, you know, one of my all-time heroes, you know, walking in and, you know, having to tell Jimmy Page, like, um, I think you can play that a little bit better, <laughs> you know. And to Fraser, that skill's been a big part of a long career that now includes well over 200 credits. And I think I had said to my wife at some point, you know, I, I'll probably retire by the time I'm 35 or 40. You know, here I am, 61 this year, and I'm still going, and I don't think I'm ever going to stop. And that is music to ears of all those artists and their fans. Jay Durant, Global News. Two Mike thumbs up a, indeed. Mike is a great guy. Yeah. And he he's, is legendary in the music industry. He when, said he started as a janitor? At Little Mountain Sound. And they taught him how to do it, and he was a natural. Wow. All right, Christy, final word on the weather. Sure, so dry conditions over the next several days. Just a very slight chance of showers tomorrow afternoon in through the Fraser Valley, northeast metro Vancouver. All right, thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone.